Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 223. I'm your host, Brian. Joining this evening, Mac. And I am burdened with glorious purpose. <laughs> and Mad Cat. I am burdened with actually having got to see a show last night. Oh. And we have the dumbass himself. Looking for skepticism? You're in the right place. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Just to be skeptical, right? I mean, not for any purpose, right? Just to be, you know. Yeah. How's, yeah, everybody, you skeptical? <laughs> How's everybody doing? Doing pretty good. Oh, doing, okay. doing all right. Yeah? So uh, I, I, we're not going to spoil anything from Avengers Endgame here tonight. No, I will not say Because there's four people, four people who did not see it opening weekend. But uh, who saw it? I did. Don't ask you. No, but I will be giving out spoilers anyway. <laughs> okay, so you're one of the four. <laughs> one of the four. I, 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 I have no idea whether the spoilers are actually true or not, but... Just I'll, keep I'll on saying goose, it'll be fine. Uh, I, I like those odds. <laughs> but I, I was just going to say, though, that uh, they warn you that due to the length of the movie that uh, there's nowhere, to, there's no, there's no moments to go and get up and take a pee break. I found that for me, more of the water that I was drinking hit my tear ducts than my kidneys. So I did okay. Yeah. Yeah. I could say that. Yep. I, I didn't even manly cry. I ugly cried. Really? That was pretty awesome when the Sailor Scouts showed up. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. They did that funny one. Uh, really good job. Yep. William Wallace going, you'll never take my freedom. All right. Smash. We're missing Ian tonight because he uh he went he's at Starfest. Well, I wouldn't exactly say we were missing. <laughs> Sorry, I had I just had to say I had that. to go we're, there. You know, that's that's like that's the perfect um that's the perfect setup from office space there. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> you know, there used to be there used to be StarCon and StarFest, and I was never sure which one of them survived. I think they merged at some point, right? I think they merged, and I think they had to change to StarFest uh, due to like some kind of a legal thing. Okay, that could be. Yeah, but I'm not 100% on that, but I think that's what happened. Because StarCon does sound better. Yeah. I know there was a 90s video game called StarCon. Oh, was there? Yeah. yeah it could be a problem. I think one year they called it the Wrath of StarCon. <laughs> no, StarCon, StarFest, and at some point there just wasn't enough people for both, and they combined them. And 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 now there's so many cons. Yep. There's Ricardo Montalban, there's Benedict Cumberbatch, Genghis, Kobla. All right, well, okay. I, <laughs> if we've got nothing else, Mad okay. Cat? Well, that's another one in the can, then. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 okay. <laughs> A <laughs> uh, little premature, little premature. Mad Cat, what time is it? Oh goodness, we do not know what time it is. One second here. <coughs> Thanks, <God. laughs> It is time for Ian and Dumbass's masturbation moment. Brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's masturbation moment. Brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. All right. Let's get so, it on. Uh, Brian, uh, yeah. I hear that you're going to get us grounded today. Yes. I'm going, we're going to become grounded and centered and we're going and to root. get it, it, and rooted and we're going to, we're going to talk about marrying the earth. It's time for us to go back to Mother Nature and, uh, and apparently have sex with Mother Nature. I, I should. I, I'm, I'm really surprised, I, I actually, that, 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 that this this should have been put in here by, by dumbass, right? This is another one of those ones where <laughs> this is a total missed opportunity. But eco I have failed you. You have failed me. <laughs> <laughs> Eco-sex- no dumbass. No dumbass. You failed yourself. <laughs> and me. And me. Let's not forget that yeah. I'm an injured party here. <laughs> Very injured. <laughs> I'd watch out for those slivers you do. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So let's see. Oh, I got, I got too many things open here. Let me just close. These. Okay. So, ecosexuals believe having sex with the Earth could save it. So, is there's this group of people, and I, I, it's a 
growing group of people. And apparently there is now, and I, I didn't find it, there's a, apparently a, a manifesto, a, an eco-sex manifesto. But let me start with the Wikipedia. Basically sums up the best. They call it sex ecologic, ecologic, ecologic. Okay, sex ecologic or ecosexuality is a radical form of environmental activism based around natural fetishism and other ideas of earth love. So essentially, to me, it seems like a political movement as much as anything. The idea that we need to love the earth and save it. Domestic, would that? Do you think that sums it up? Uh, I suppose so. Though, um, are are they just like advocating that this will like bring you bring your content bring the earth into your consciousness and uh, you know and make you allow you to make more ecological decisions, or I, are they promoting some sort of magical beliefs about fucking the earth will strengthen the earth to deal with climate change or something? I, well, they don't say that in the article. So they're um, they're talking about specifically a get together in Sydney, I guess uh, Sydney, Australia, right, where they have an eco sexual bathhouse. Let's see, which is part of the Sydney Life Works Festival of uh, experimental art. So I don't think that they are claiming that um, that this is somehow going to heal the earth. I think the idea is to raise awareness. Um, well, we all want, we all know what raising awareness does. Uh, and, and what does it do? Uh, the silence that you just gave me. Is exactly what raising awareness does. Oh, okay, not a damn thing. Not a damn thing. Okay, (laughs) let's see. So it says the uh, the bathhouse interacts and interaction interactivity installation creates in created by artists uh, Lauren uh, Cromire and Ian Secular of Pony Express. I'm not sure what Pony Express is. Maybe that's maybe that's uh, ponies. Uh, Pony (laughs) Express was a a uh, group of writers who would carry the mail from place to place back in the 1800s. <laughs> okay, their website's interesting. But yeah, so basically, okay. I mean... The, uh, Brian, before you go on, could I just ask one quick clarifying question about, yeah, sure. uh, is ecosexual, is that in any way connected to the slang term melon baller? Or is a melon baller something else? I, I think <laughs> that's that's somebody who has sex with fruit, specifically, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't I don't think that that uh, that these people have, it doesn't have to be fruit. I, I see grass. I see trees. Uh, what are some of the other some of the other pictures here? Two all... fruits, one vegetable, and a flower. No, nothing. You don't yeah. recognize that movie, do you? No, I don't recognize that movie. No, Zorro so what the, we're saying Zorro is uh... the gay blade. <laughs> okay, go ahead, dumbass. Well, what we're saying is, uh, you you walk down the street, you see somebody on a lawn humping the ground. Uh, person should be applauded for economic mindedness i i I guess that that's kind of what's going on here i mean i read the article and i guess i'm still a little confused i mean i put it in here because it's right up our alley um that there and i there's another one too that's um but it says that this is a growing movement yeah okay so the the article from the sun has a lot more pictures and i mean it is (laughs) literally people rolling around in the dirt some of them with like strange contraptions on their faces and stuff like that Wearing plants and rolling around in the dirt. Uh, so saving the earth the sexy way is what one of the taglines is here. Okay, so there's a movie. Okay, so so uh, there's a, in the theaters there uh, there's a show, Dirty Sex Sexu Ecologic Sex Sexologic. I'm saying that wrong. I'm sure. Twenty five ways to make love to the earth. But I, I don't think that it isn't like just. Like, you know, sticking your thing in a knot in a tree. That's not what's going is, on here. Isn't, isn't there always, isn't there also a TV series, uh, Sex and the Forest? <laughs> no. Doesn't have Sarah Jessica Parker in it? Uh, no? No, okay. no. Sex in the City? <laughs> no, that's, that's, have, that's, that's real sex. So I don't know, I, I don't know, um, you know, what's going on You know, the only thing in the article that I could see that, that made this about saving the earth aside from the, the whole raising awareness thing that I already, you know, I threw my gauntlet at was, um, I didn't snap the fingers before I threw the gauntlet, but the only, (laughs) the only thing that I saw that seemed to be about saving the earth was about using more environmentally friendly sexual products. Okay. Here, here, no, the, here, the first line in the article in the sun 
Yet a group of people who call themselves ecosexuals are doing just that in the belief that sex with the earth will regenerate it. So maybe they do actually believe that that they're going to regenerate it in some way. I mean, that, I'm not sure. When you but, read the the Wikipedia stuff, makes it sound like it's primarily a, a political movement. But man, they they're going to extremes for this political movement, wearing grass on their faces when they kit. You know, they oh, those look like maybe those are chia masks. <laughs> they look like they might be chia pet masks. And they're kissing well, another chia's, person. Well, Chia's actually supposed to be pretty good. It, it probably is. Um, I'm not sure, but I go to the Pony Express part. Okay. It says, research documentation and process diary of artwork in development. Ecosexual bathhouse. Club ecosex. Raft of the Medusa. Sixth wave. Transhumanist soap opera. Epoch Wars and Boomer versus Millennials. <clears throat> I wish it I... It also has an... Anthrocreme, a capital cream, and Cthulhu cream. Wait, Cthulhu cream? Mentioned here. That's good for the Apparently penis. It, it's it, it makes so that you can have like like six of them, right? Well, it has kelp, multi-species kimchi, and symbiosis, and you need to, uh, of course, you need tentacles with it. Uh, okay, that's like that's like calling a ah. a nutrition drink soylent anything. Which they do, by the way. <laughs> I've had it. <clears throat> so, also, there's another quote in here. Uh, These people who roll around in the dirt having orgasms covered in potting soil. Uh, these people these people who fuck trees. It says fuck star, 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 but or F star, 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 but, you know, what? Maybe they, maybe they just feel trees. Well, it says they'll they... Fork. That's a, it'll be fork. It <laughs> says they fuck trees... Or masturbate <laughs> under waterfalls. They're okay, not forking okay, trees. Okay. I am putting, I am putting us under good place rules. Oh, you are. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. So cut the shirt, man. Okay, what the fork? Mother forking shirt balls. <laughs> uh, I never knew about this see. stuff. The I could have made a better terrarium for my geckos. <laughs> the ecosexual movement is growing and has taken hold. In the last two years, according to American psychologist um, Jennifer Reed. Hold on, hold on. Did, it, did oh, no. the article say taken hold or did it say taken root? It, it, it's, <laughs> it's because a, that would a, that was a total missed opportunity. Taken hold. It does At, say taken hold. You're right. They should have said taken I, root. I, okay. I think that. Okay, so whoever wrote that was a hack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, it, yeah, well, you know, I've seen some pretty erotic sand sculptures. Uh, um, sure. You, you you think you okay. you get sand everywhere when you go to the beach now? <laughs> so Jen, so American, I said psychologist, American sociologist Jennifer Reed and Google and Google search data show that a dramatic spike in interest in 2016 and members of the movement esti- or estimated uh, let's see estimated that a hundred thousand people around the world now call themselves ecosexuals. But is it? Okay, but doesn't this, I mean, are they really, is this really what's getting them off, or is this a political movement, like Wikipedia well, for some, say? For some reason, I'm sure, for, for, for some people, I'm sure it is what's getting them off. Don't know. I could be, uh, and that's fine. This, uh, you know, honestly, this really seems like, this article seems like it's geared for shock. So well, I have a feeling that it's probably more of a political movement. Okay, it is from The Sun, at least the article I'm reading from right now. The other one is from Vice, <laughs> and I think Vi- Vice is a little bit more even-handed about things than The Sun. Okay, but the vice is very pro-sex, right? I mean, vice is um, very sex-positive. I don't know about the sun. I don't know. Well, it's a it's a large flaming ball of hydrogen that is in the center of our solar system. Right. Do you want to have sex with that? No. Okay. No, I. I there's not enough. There's not enough uh, blocking cream in the world for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. The vice I, the vice article is a lot more. Um, there's better information in the Vice article for sure, but it also talks about that, how they're growing. There was that one character from Farscape who uh, had uh, orgasms from the sun's rays. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh man, I'd go for <laughs> way more walks. <laughs> anyway, I thought I think it's she was, some, inter- she was some sort of plant woman or something. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I don't remember I, that far back. I wish I could find some. I think I wish I could find some better information about what they actually believe, and if I could find that manifesto. Um, Dumbass. Speaking of uh, speaking of plant people, just as an aside here, 
you're going to go, you're going to, you're going to want to go looking for an old TV series called Quark. All right. I found the manifesto. And what is Quark about? Quark is a, uh, 1970s parody of Star Trek about a garbage scow that gets sent on space missions, um, starring Richard Benjamin. The science officer on the ship is actually a living plant. (coughs) It's, it's, it lasted one season, but it was more of a too smart for TV kind of thing. So, all right, I put the manifesto in there. Matt, do you think you could read us the manifesto? It doesn't okay. look like it's too long. At least the first part, maybe just the first page. Oh yeah, because the second page is in Spanish. Do you want to read it in in in? I'll in, I'll read the English part. In English or Spanish? Um, no, I will. I will not read the English part in Spanish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in Francais? No. La Francais? Not in Francais. No. La Inglaise. Ingla. Off Deutsch. All right. Let's have it. All right. It's this uh, Pony Express thing you sent in. No, right? I, I know this. No, not the Pony Express. Is there? Is the it's manifesto there? Oh, okay. There? I see. I see. I, it was down below the bottom of the screen. Okay. Okay. I know how to use my computer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Section one. We are the Echosexuals, my friends. The earth is our lover to the end. Okay, I'm not going to read the rest as queen. I, that was so good, but that was so good. That was so good. We are madly, passionately, and fiercely in love, and we are grateful for this relationship each and every day. In order to create a more mutual and sustainable relationship with the earth, we collaborate with nature. We treat the earth with kindness, respect, and affection. Section two. We make love with the earth. We are aquaphiles, terrophiles, pyrophiles, and aerophiles. We shamelessly hug trees, massage the earth with our feet, and talk erotically to plants. We are skinny dippers, sun worshippers, and stargazers. We caress rocks, are pleasured by waterfalls, and admire the earth's, earth's curves often. We make love with the earth through our senses. We celebrate our e-spots. We are very dirty. Section three. We are. A rapidly growing global community of exosexuals. This community includes artists, academics, sex workers, sexologists, healers, environmental activists, nature fetishists, gardeners, business people, the rapists, I'm sorry, therapists, uh, lawyers, peace activists, ecofeminists, scientists, educators, parentheses are evolutionaries, revolutionaries, critters and other entities from diverse walks of life. Some of us are sex ecologists researching and exploring the places where sexology and ecology intersect in our culture. As consumers, we aim to buy less. When we must, we buy green, organic, and local. Whether on farms, at sea, in the woods, or in small towns or large cities, we connect and empathize with nature. Section four, we are ecosex activists. We will save the mountains, waters, and ski- and skies. thought that said skiers. That was actually a genuine <laughs> skies by any means necessary, especially through love, joy, and our powers of seduction. We will stop the rape, abuse, and the poisoning of the earth. We do not condone the use of violence, although we recognize that some ecosexuals may choose to fight those most guilty for destroying the earth with public disobedience, anarchist, and radical environment and activist strategies. We embrace the revolutionary tactics of art, music, poetry, humor, and sex. We work and play tireless for for earth justice and global peace. Bombs hurt. (laughs) Section 5. Ecosexual is an identity. For some of us, being ecosexual is our primary sexual identity, whereas for others it is not. Ecosexuals can be GLBTQI, heterosexual, asexual, and or other. We invite and encourage ecosexuals to come out. We are everywhere. We are polymorphous and polynamorous. Yes, that's what it says. It says polynamorous. Oh, wow. Okay. It says polynamorous. We educate people about ecosex culture, community, and practices. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that we are all part of, not separate from, nature. Thus, all sex is ecosex. Section six, the ecosex pledge. I promise to love, honor, and cherish you, Earth, until death brings us together, closer together forever. 
So, Viva la Ecosex Revolution. Yes. Join us. Thank you. I, it sounds very much political to me. It does. Um, my concern is not that it's political. I don't, that's, I, I'm okay with well, that. No, no, hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. My concern is not that it's political. My concern is that if you are involved in seducing and making love to the earth, how do you know that that's not non-consent? Right. How, the consent is in, extremely important here. That's a... That's, you know, you, you show me, you show me how the Earth is consenting, and I'll, you know, I'll bless the union. But <laughs> we will fuck it on some stones. We will fuck it with pine cones. <laughs> Isn't that part of our our uh, strategy, though, to make up that list about what not to stick in your Wuhan? <laughs> well, okay, that's not so what's... sticking pine, pine cones, pine cones, and wasps' nests and whatnot. Putting those up inside your vagina, are, are, have we just been have we just been disrespecting ecosexuals this entire time? Apparently, yeah, we are horrible individuals. I'm disappointed in myself. I know. Yeah, but not for that. Hmm? <laughs> you know, every single object comes from the earth. So, like, even if you're fucking yourself with a dildo, that that's uh, that's something that came from the earth. Yeah. Uh, not not so, not so. I always specifically ask when I'm at the grocery store, I always ask for specifically inorganic vegetables. <laughs> and nobody gets that that does not mean not organic. Mm-hmm. Just One person. It. One person in the entire time that I've been doing that to people. So, yeah. So, well, uh, so are you asking for stone carrots? Well, I could be. Yeah. Here, these are granite. Well, they're taken for granite. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so I think it, I, I think it's interesting. Oh. I don't I don't know how effective it is, um, but it but I I have no problem with what they're doing. I, I think have it, no problem with what they're doing either. Um, I think that it's likely to get a lot of recognition, and because it's likely to get a lot of recognition, it's probably it's probably a lot more effective than. It's a lot more effective than it could be, but it's it's the sort of thing that Wait. catches people's attention by titillating. Them. Yeah, it does, and it has a certain amount of shock value, right? And I think I'm I would be afraid that once that wears off, that that then it's just a bunch of people rolling around in dirt, and yeah. that's okay too. They can do that. Um. So hold on, hold on a second. So uh, that guy Mike Rowe, the guy who did Dirty Jobs, yes, is he ecosexual? Well, just asking. He, that that isn't uh, part of the identity that I'm aware of. <laughs> uh, I'm just asking if his shows could should be should be marked as TVMA now. Right, that's like porn for ecosexuals is what you're getting at, right? Uh, could be. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> oh, did you see Mike Rowe in the Honey Pot? Nope. All right. All right. I think I think we're done there. Let's. I th- I think it's very interesting. Um, I I we'll see. I have some articles down here that maybe will. I don't know. That, that we're, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about food, but until we can get until we get there, it's time for what the fuck are they thinking? And and this time, yeah. this and, okay, this is another one that starts at the sun. That's okay. Uh, this one taking pee. Let's see. Uh, I think this one actually started at the kidneys, Brian. Yeah, this one starts at the kidneys. So these people are snorting their own pee, dumbass. What? Yeah. Okay, but uh, I, I can see where. Sorry, go ahead, dumbass. No, uh, you can continue. I was going to say I, I can see where you might think it starts at the sun because he does say he feels like Superman afterwards. <laughs> uh, okay, so yes, this article is about this guy, a yogi uh, named Sam Cohen, who has uh, health advice, and uh, it, it's about drinking his pee, but an unusual way for for drinking his pee. He snorts it through his nose, and he claims that uh, he doesn't get cold and that it uh, improves his sex life. How does it improve his sex life? I mean, that that's a pretty <laughs> bold claim. And what does it mean to improve it? Right? What was what was it lacking before? He said it improves his. He didn't say it improves anyone else. That that's fine. Is he <laughs> right? But is he right? Okay, sure. Maybe he's attracting more golden shower fetishes. Maybe. Is, I mean, is he? Um, certainly it would be a waste probably, you know, uh, cause yeah, you can't drink it once, you know, it's all over the floor. I mean, you guess you can collect it. You could, but. Um, and, um, and we should specify he's drinking his own pee, not somebody else's pee. Don't want to get weird and, uh, gross about this. 
Right. Let's not get weird and gross about it. It's <laughs> his that's, own pee. That's judgment. I thought you guys were supposed to be sex positive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but he never says, he says it improved his sex life, but he didn't say how, right? Is he having yeah. better orgasms? I, I he, do see I mean, how it would improve his health, though. Oh? Yeah. I, I'm sure that by the time he's done there, not even bacteria can live in his sinuses. No. What, what's going to kill the bacteria? It's just going to replace the bacteria with the bacteria in the in his pee. Well, I suppose uh, this is where you come in with your uh, debunking of urine being sterile, right? I guess, right? Okay, so I mean, well, well, maybe, maybe he's used to the bacteria in his pee. Well, okay, so it's sterile to him, but that doesn't make it sterile. And the other thing, okay, hold on, okay, <laughs> we, we got we got to read a couple of quotes from him here at the end before we go on. So he, uh, see, he even does one on a plane in a five star in in a five star hotel. What? Uh, so he's so he's doing this everywhere. See, I take my cup with me, and if I have to go to the bathroom, I take it with me, close the door, and drink through my nose. You feel like I Superman. Would, I yeah. would snort pee on a plane. I would snort pee from a drain. Apparently. <laughs> uh, you're going to go into the, the phone booth and do some uh, something nobody else knows, and it's a secret. You've got your cup uh, concealed, and you're going to go to the toilet and come out. And and see, and you're going to look glowing and refreshed. Wow. Uh, I've done it on the plane. Um, I I probably the first mile-high nose drinker. Uh, he's probably correct about those things. So okay, he, so, so this he, guy has seen Waterworld too many times. Uh, apparently. So he's doing this for his health, and he makes the claim that it's not waste, that, you know, that, that, that it's not the body putting out waste, and... He also makes a claim that it has uh, emotion and that you that you're recapturing your emotion when you do this. So a lot of strange claims he made. Um, well, in this video. you know, yeah. uh, just like water has a memory, urine has a memory, too. And a yeah. urine has a memory of emotion. <laughs> Apparently. So there, he's making a lot of bizarre claims about it. OK. And it's heard... basically just something he and I think a couple of his buddies came up with. Well, uh, oh, yeah. The, year. He's yeah, been doing exactly. For 19 years, you apparently. Know, you know, actually, it kind of makes sense, though, because. If you hold a long grudge, you're pissed off for a long time. So maybe maybe urine does hold emotion. <laughs> but yeah, so he claims that he doesn't get colds, as, he, uh, as Dumbass said. But I'm looking for the, some of these other claims that he made about. He, he, he makes some spiritual claims here, but it's him and his friend who do this. Um, yeah. So I mean, they're not trying to be pissants. <sighs> Anyway, so the the video has seems to have more in it than than uh, unless I'm missing it. Let's see. It removes tiredness and leth- and lethargy. And le- lethargy. Uh, it enhances the libido. He warns that when you first start doing it, it can be overwhelming because you feel like drowning. Well, yeah, if it's going through your nose, you probably do feel like drowning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see the see the brain might say to you. Yeah, uh, what are you doing? You start with to do it uh, calm and controlled, and then you see its natural its natural process. Let's see. Uh, I was I was looking for some of his from a from a. Oh, okay. They also drink coconut water, hemp milk, hemp seed oil, CBD, CBDs, fruit and vegetable juice, and wine. They alter their note. Coder, coconut water? Jesus, stick with the urine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I have a very hard time with the claim that it refreshes your energy because you're basically putting waste that your body has removed, nitrogen waste, yep. back in to be filtered out again, which means that you're actually taxing your body's resources. Yes. Taxation without yep. recommendation. <laughs> so taxation without urination okay so the idea that this is sterile is uh from comes back from the uh from the 1950s so they when they developed a test for urine looking for bacteria they 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 had to set a mark that said that basically that you're that you're bacterial free and they set that at uh see a hundred thousand colonies so when when you get a urine test and they say you know that that there's nothing that you know that it comes back pot okay it means that that the bacterial colonies in there were were under a hundred thousand colonies if they go over that then they 
then they would say you have bacteria in your in your urine. So they had to set um, that set uh, an arbitrary line somewhere. And it makes sense that they do that. So, it, but this was so uh, see developed by Edward Class Cass in 1950. So, but this is where the myth comes from that your bacteria is sterile. But 100,000 colonies of bacteria, uh, bacteria per liter of urine doesn't sound sterile to me. Um, and then the other thing is so that it's primarily nitrogen waste. Um, so it has bacteria. It has minerals in it. Let's see. Um, uh, and then, of course, if you're taking any sort of uh, medications and stuff like that, they can be in your urine. So you'd be re reingesting those as well. Um, so it says don't drink even when you're dehydrated. So apparently, even survival manuals, uh, the U.S. military advises people against it. So, so even in survival situations, they're saying don't drink your pee. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so you could. I've I mean, heard that it was a good idea to drink your pee in I, uh, survival I, situations. I've heard that too. Now. But this is indicating that that it may not. That uh, it says in survival situations, you can use urine as a source of water by distilling it. So they would still want you to distill it and recapture the water without drinking all the other crap that's in it. In in a situation like that where you're already dehydrated, it could just dehydrate you more because of the amount of sodium and that's already in there. So all the salts and everything that are already in in your urine could just make things worse. So you'd need to distill it somehow before you did that. And, you know, Bear Grylls shows us how to do that. So, yeah. So, urine is not sterile. Now, is it going to hurt you? I don't know. Right? I mean, you could potentially get um, an infection from, you know, because you are because you are taking bacteria and putting it somewhere that it doesn't normally live. So, that's a problem. Yeah, but, you know, if you watch Dune 400 times then you think it's okay. Well, but even there, they were going through a filtration system. Shh. Yeah. Oh, right. So, uh, but the other thing... Same with Waterworld, and I still had a problem <laughs> yeah. with it. So the other thing... Um, I think this idea actually originally emerged uh, in the movie Dodgeballs. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> nothing. You remember it? Hey, I don't have to drink my own urine. But I, but it's sterile, sterile, I, I like the taste. taste. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> There's some great one-liners from that movie. That is, oh yeah, it's yeah. a classic. Mm. All right. So I put in here. Um, I, I wanted to. I do a um, like the neti pots and and the other um, sinal sinus things like that, and we boil the heck out of the water. Um, before we use it because yes but do you boil the piss out of it <laughs> i hope so i hope you're not um, but the, but by people who there have been several people who have died from doing these nasal rinses uh, one in louisiana and i don't know where the other one they might have both been in louisiana anyway so there's an amoeba that got that that entered the entered into the nose crossed the blood blood brain barrier uh through the sinus cavities i would i guess and got into the brain and ate their brain. So, Ew. so the idea that you would be, especially through the nose, drinking the urine, all the all the bacteria and stuff that's in there is being flushed through the sinuses. So there's a potential that those bacteria could start living near sinuses, and since they don't aren't supposed to live there, it could cause a problem. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, your, your nasal cavity was not designed for drinking. Right. Exactly. Nope. And so it's one thing it, to to ingest it orally. Right. But it's another to put it through your sinus cavity. Well, also, when you're dealing with when you're dealing with germs that are taken in through the nose, there's also filtering that takes place in the nose that blocks some of the contaminants via the uh, nose hair. And sure. that's not happening. I take it with uh, with snorting urine then through your nose. No, because how could it sort that much bacteria? Right, we're, 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 I mean that, that's you you're putting a I mean they're putting a lot of liquid through their through their sinus cavities. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is a terrible idea for a lot of reasons, but mainly because it's not sterile and it's waste yeah. products from the body. <laughs> well, you know what happens, you know, if you're if you're the type of person who's going to snort urine in through your nose, you know what happens with those brain brain eating amoebas that you suck in through your nose? They starve. <laughs> ah. I'm sorry. That was unkind. Okay. Students in your current Ukraine learn to spot fake news. Good for them. 
I'm sorry, I think yeah, you, uh, I think you do have to say it that way. Um, I think it's a um, there's a legal requirement that you say fake news. Uh, isn't it? Uh, isn't the uh, isn't the the litmus test for fake news anything that said President Trump thought? Yes, I think that that is probably fake news. Well, yes, uh, basically, um, it's in a Ukraine program that uh, has been teaching basically critical thinking type stuff. I mean, some of it, a lot of it about uh, recognizing hate speech, which isn't uh, so much a critical thinking stuff, but it's a, it's good to recognize uh, when uh, an emotion like hate is driving a story. More, it's about recognizing when data that's uh, presented to you might be misleading, uh, which is a very applaudable thing, and uh, it goes into details in the article about, uh, uh, which I generally agree on that we we need uh, some sort of program like that in North America here. Big journalism doesn't want you to, to do that. So they're keeping kids from from ge- enrolling these programs because of big journalism. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the journalists are all out there just <laughs> lobbying for no – not good education. Not well, good well, education. I, I not good education they, that sentence. <laughs> how can they tell us what to think if we're, if, we're, if we're too educated to understand that they're just doing it for our own good? So what do we know? All, what do we know about the program here? So how many? I mean, what was the effectiveness of the program? All right, I'm not able to load it up here, but I believe it was um, something like thirty something percent uh, increase in uh, knowledge about uh, uh, fake news stories and like identifying them. Okay, you have it open there. What do you have the exact percent? I, I was looking. I didn't see. See, uh, so students were twice as likely to detect hate speech. And eighteen percent better at identifying fake news than students. Eighteen percent, so not thirty something percent. Okay, yeah, right. who um who missed who missed the lesson? So then, then students who didn't uh, take the lesson, yeah, right. So that's um that's significant. I mean, eighteen percent is good. That means yeah. that means that whatever they're teaching is working, and it's a matter of of you know keep um, reiterating those tools so that they learn to use them better. And I'll bet that that percentage goes up. Yeah, uh, I think so, too. Um, they, they probably uh, weren't able to cover a lot of stuff, but I, I could see uh, I would like to see a uh, class on critical thinking taught in uh, at least in high schools where they'd go into stuff like uh, logical fallacies yeah. and how statistics can mislead you and things like that. So this was done with uh, eighth graders and ninth graders. It says that they were better able to identify fake information and hate speech after the teacher uh, integrated the let's see organizational media literacy techniques into their um, into their lesson. So is that something that might be something we could actually look up as the organizational media literacy techniques? Yeah, from um, from the details they give there, apparently they teach techniques like uh, doing a reverse image search if you're not sure that uh, the image is being presented accurately. Okay, and uh, also that like there are uh, ways to analyze images if you've got more time to. Uh, try and spot things that may be suspicious. Uh, they teach some of that. Okay. So uh, you brought up reverse image search. Just something I happened to come across a couple days ago. I was watching a video that was all about Amelia Earhart, and they had an image that showed Amelia Earhart and her co-pilot uh, as captives on a dock in Japan. Oh, yeah. And a reverse image search done by some bloggers showed that that picture actually came from several years before the war and before her flight took place. Yeah, that that myth resurfaced a little while ago. And I remember um, it was um, being debunked by uh, a few people talked about it. But I remember hearing about it from why can't I remember his name right now? The other person on your network, dumbass. That does the conspiracy stuff, Mike Bowler. Oh, uh, Mike, Mike Bo- Bowler. Yeah, so Mike Bowler took that. He 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 took a close look at that. So yeah, and that was uh, was that three years ago that 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 resurfaced. Anyway, th- th- uh, I don't really remember, but Mike Bowler does some good stuff. Yeah, he does absolutely. By the way, Brian, I keep hearing coughing in the background. Is that one of your kids? No, nope. That's oh. uh, that's coming from Mad Cat's side, I think. Oh, I was she, keep, say, she keeps if that's trying your to kids, mute. Tell them to stop snorting that urine through their nose. I, I'll, I'll let them know. Or maybe they should. Or maybe if they're not, they should start. It's possible. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm confused on the whole I mean, that, that, urine, bad th- urine thing now. <laughs> that, that's that's the way your kids would rebel against you because, you know, <laughs> exactly. you know something that you disapprove of. <laughs> that's right. I'm giving my life to Jesus and I'm going to drink this urine through my nose. <laughs> now I know I've failed as a parent. I'm giving my wife. I'm giving my life to Jesus right after I take this overdose of supplements. <laughs> are they homeopathic? They are, aren't they? Yep. You son of a bitch. They be You're giving your wife to Jesus. So are we saying that uh, <laughs> Jesus is actually a Mormon? That's a true religion? <laughs> well, apparently he is because uh, the nuns are all the brides of Christ. Mm. And there's not oh, just one nun. So this is so they say in two th- uh, in 2021 the program will be used in approximately 650 schools across the Ukraine. So they're planning to push this across all of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great. So that they they implemented really, it. They that really it. is great. I, yeah. I, I agree with dumbass though that I wish they'd do it here. I'm telling you, big journalism. Yeah, you know these kids need to understand that over 70 percent of statistics are made up on the spot. Oh, I, I thought it was 85. Yeah, I thought it was 72. 92% well, of people don't know that. <laughs> 33% don't care. <laughs> and 105% are... Never mind. <laughs> Our coffee at this moment. Our coffee at this moment. There we go. And 100%, 10% of them are rolling in their grave. All right, let's move on. I, I, so that that was our victory for common sense. That And that is... Yeah. That that is that yes. is a good that is a good victory for common sense. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So I just want to talk about a few things. Um, another science article because I think we see a lot of um, uh, myths and stuff like that. And and for and like so we went to the uh, the farmers market yesterday, which was actually really cool. They, there's a really cool farmers market down here, and they have a lot of really good looking vegetables and stuff like that. And but there is there are a lot of myths about buying locally. There may or may not be truth in the in like when you look at like transport. This article things seems to think that that yeah the transportation thing is probably true that you buy from a local farmer and that there probably um, there's you know you, your carbon footprint is lower buying from a local a local grower. But I would I would dispute that because if you, because I think sometimes they they don't consider the vehicle that is transporting it and the in the quantities that are being transported. So if, if you have a a, a smaller, inefficient truck, you know, that's old and has a larger <laughs> footprint. It may be more carbon than, say, you know, shipping it a shipping it on a on a on a boat that has a much a much larger um, amount of food. Um, the other thing that um, that they talk about is is especially doesn't come into play when you look at um, th- they use potatoes for instance. So in Idaho, you know, they can. Grow twice as many um, potatoes per acre as you can in, uh, would they say, Nebraska or something? You know, in a, in just another state. So they say, for example, an acre of of an acre of land in Idaho can produce fifty percent more potatoes than an acre of land in Kansas. Um, and that's that actually for, is from Steve Novella from the uh, New England Skeptic Society. So we also know from the uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. So the idea that the most efficient way to grow something is in is you know is where it grows best. So tomatoes, for instance, are, are gonna you know are gonna have a place where they grow best. And so just because you buy them locally, does if they don't grow as well in in your particular environment, then you know the yields are gonna be lower. You're gonna have to have more plants, so you're not gonna be able to grow as much per per acre of land. So there there's going to be a higher footprint in uh, carbon also footprint. Also gonna have reduced that. nutrition. If they're not growing in their preferred soil, you're going to have you're going to have plants that either have reduced nutrition, or you're going to have to do extra things to them in order to fertilize them so that they do grow. Well, but here's the thing, Seth. So when we're talking right now, I'm just talking about non-organics, right? Or you know, or well, okay. I'm, I'm talking, talking about, about I'm talking about any vegetables that are grown. Sure, but we are. But they. Uh, but here's the thing: is that they are fertilizing. In, in most these places, right? So, I mean, that to get them to grow best, they're probably fertilizing. And so I'm not, and I don't know that they, that they, that they've looked at potatoes in Kansas versus potatoes in Idaho for nutritional values. Um, and, and that would be something that probably needs to be done. They have certainly looked at nutritional values between what we say organic foods and non-organically grown foods. Um, and those are identical. There, there's, 
that they're pretty much the same, right? The the the, the plants absorb the the minerals that they're going to absorb is what it kind of seems like. Um, but that's yeah, but I I think the the point here though that you're trying to make I think is that uh, if you plant plant something that's not efficient for climate and uh, soil that uh, that you live in. Uh, then that's going to generate inefficiencies, which are going to create a bigger carbon footprint because of, you know, the uh, tractors are going to have to travel a lot longer around to uh, to get it and harvesting is going to be a lot more, a lot harder and everything like that. Right. Right. So the idea of eating what's grown locally and, and I actually I don't have a, a huge problem with that, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be more uh, carbon efficient um, than than somebody who then. Than somebody who had them um, transported something transported in, because not everything grows everywhere. And one of the one of the really cool things about the fact that we have these high high rates of transportation ways of doing stuff is that we can get stuff in locations that we couldn't get before. Right, so it gives us way more variety of stuff to eat. And I think that and I think that there's a benefit in that. But there's also something to be said that when I go to the farmer's market and I buy stuff and it's been picked recently that it, but it might taste better, right? Because I mean, tomatoes are picked green and tomatoes are one, they're one of the things that I hate so much at the store because most of the time that they're, they're mushy and white and they don't taste great. But the ones that come out of my backyard taste much better, but the carbon footprint of the stuff that I grew versus, versus the ones that, you know, I bought at the store is much higher. Right. It's 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 not more carbon neutral because I grew it. It's it's probably higher. Um, but there is something to be said for getting stuff locally where you can because it very well might taste better. It might have been picked fresher. So I'm not saying don't buy locally. I'm saying that if you're thinking about your carbon footprint, it's much more complicated than just buying locally. So you're saying that there's a big carbon footprint for tomatoes you go in your backyard. I'm th- I think that they're higher in my backyard because like in Colorado, that that's not a place where they necessarily grow um, really well when I was living there. And in and in Texas, it's too warm. You kind of want a more neutral climate that's more humid. So Colorado's not humid enough. Texas is humid enough, but too warm. Um, tomatoes. Are you saying the carbon, the carbon footprint is in the extra stuff that you have to do in order to I, uh, I do. Yeah. make them grow? Exactly. I do. Okay. I, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. And, okay. and I might have to fertilize more to max point, you know, to get them to grow. Yep. And so there's stuff that there's so and when you grow them out of the climate that they're supposed to grow in, you I think that you're increasing, you know, getting them to grow. It's in, in the smaller yields as well. Right. So would you um, and that's another thing, you know, about, you know, about the Idaho acreage is that um, the potato grows well there. So you've got to think about, I mean, we can spend so much time thinking about our carbon footprint and. And whether whether and I don't know that any of these little things that we do like buying locally and stuff that really makes that much of an impact anyway. Um, the other one, let's see, is it which article talked about? Um, I think this the this one I have is organic versus non-organic, and they looked at the um, they looked at two diets of um, they they looked at um, and this this is for German the, some German data that they looked at, and they looked at a non-carbon. Uh, um, an, an organic and non-organic, and what they what they came up with is that basically, as far as the carbon intake, they were, um, they were about the same. But doing that, they made an assumption that the people eating the non-organic diet ate more meat. Um, and when you just look at meat alone, meat in and of itself, whether you're using you know or the organic methods versus non-organic methods, depending on what you're feeding and stuff like that. Meat shoots up much higher. So if they ate the same amount of meat, the um, the the organic diet was had a much higher carbon footprint. The other problem with with um, with organic foods is that they take about forty percent more land to grow. So so using organic organic means you you need more land and you have smaller yields. And it's a myth mm-hmm. that they're not using fertilizer and that they're not using pesticides as well. Those things are not true. Of, of organic farming, they have they're using different pesticides, and we I think we've talked about the pesticides before. They're 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 just as likely to be carcinogenic, and they use more of them. So so the idea that you know that a lot of people think that when they're eating organic, that you know that they're eating less pesticides um, is not true. In fact, some of the pesticides they might be eating more pesticide um, in some cases. I'm I'm afraid. 
eating organics is not is not um, uh, is has a uh, has a higher footprint, a carbon footprint. Um, and meat is particularly bad as far as carbon footprint goes. I saw some uh, an estimate that apparently there are some companies already uh, working uh, on uh, getting uh, vat-grown meat out there uh, within the next several years. That will be very interesting. I'm I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, I know they're starting with pork, right? Um, oh no, there's hamburgers too. Maybe it's the hamburgers that are coming out first. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but you know, I'm wondering what uh, the ecological impact on the vat-grown meat will be. Whether it'll be a lot better yeah. than, uh, um, you know, it seems like it would be a lot more efficient than growing an animal. I would, I would hope so. But will it what, synthetic meat? Oh, synthetic no, meat. Well, not well, like real meat. Like it's, they, like, it's real meat. It's kind of like I guess it'd be like cloned cells. They're basically growing meat cells instead of mm. growing whole animals. Well, they've grown a heart for an uh, actual miniature heart that could be used, but they what they did was with uh, with one of those. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen I've seen that uh, article actually. Um, yeah, they, they they've still they, they've uh, made a small thing uh, like a heart and uh, put put a lot of the proper stuff in there. They haven't really gotten it to work well well yet, but uh, yeah, they've definitely but made some step. progress there. But they've also made pizzas and stuff with um, what are they called again? Those machines that go back and forth and three D printers. Three D printers. Three D printers. They've had lots of success with three D printers yeah. on an awful lot of stuff. Yeah. So well, I guess they're actually they're actually fairly close to <clears throat> creating working organs with three D printers too. So, like I said, they made a heart with a three D printer. A yeah, and they're working on lungs. And they're working on going further and. Um, making them actually being able to be used. Yeah. And so, what they've done so far with this, uh, the skin done through that process for people who have gone through fire or medical... Yeah, third-degree third burns are nasty. Yes, and because of the process they use with the printers now, that can be dealt with easily, a lot easier and a lot less painful. I, I do want to bring up... I, I do want to make one point, though, Brian. You were talking about uh, going to local farmers markets and you see some really good looking vegetables there. Yeah. I just think that after the earlier articles we did, that you might want to qualify what you mean by good looking vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I just, I'm just saying, man, I'm just saying. Okay. Let me put it to you this way. Some of those habaneros were really sexy, but I don't want to put my penis in them. <laughs> and I think that's wise. <laughs> Uh, that'd be some hot sex so i put two articles in here that that talked about this specific issue about um it's the organic farm i see organic farms use more land and don't decrease carbon footprint and the other one is titled surprise organic diets mean a larger carbon footprint now both of these articles pull from the same german data so that being said um you know that they're working from the same data source so both these say pretty much the same thing there's not another data source, I don't think, unfortunately, not right now. But, I mean, much of what they're saying makes sense, and and there might be some caveats. In fact, I, I hope there's some caveats, right? So, but yeah. Well, the, uh, when they do finally come out with vat-grown meat, I'm going to try it, and if it's uh, if it's good, uh, I don't mind switching over. Sure. Well, and, and if vegetables, you know, if they were, if, if it was that big, um, you know, if, if you could... You, take organic vegetables and, you know, have a lower carbon footprint, that would be interesting too, but it doesn't work out that way. But like, as far as meat goes, if you guys haven't tried the impossible burger, it's definitely worth a try. Um, I, it, what the, is the impossible burger? So the, the impossible burger is a vegan burger that looks and tastes like, like beef. It's pretty close. I would say that the giveaway on it for me was the texture was, was different, but you cook it on the grill the same way you cook a hamburger. It looks to you know have blood or it's not blood that comes out of it, but the but you know the um you know the red juices that come out of it are, are very similar um, that they use to do it. It's high in fat and it tasted pretty darn good. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you, what's the price difference between the Impossible Burger? Oh, it's and... it's more expensive. Yeah, it co- okay. I think I think it was and... only two dollars more for the burger though. Versus That's a another hamburger. factor when you're talking about reducing carbon footprint, though, and you know, and talking about eating organic and locally grown and whatnot versus 
versus picking up your stuff at Walmart is a lot of people don't necessarily have that choice. Oh no, you're yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, it's not a, it's not certainly not a substitute that's affordable. And the other thing is that when it comes to carbon footprint, I don't believe that the Impossible Burger is going to be lower in carbon footprint. Yeah, I mean, it's still it had to be assembled, right? It is. I mean, so yeah, it it can't be lower than a hamburger, even. I bet it's not. But nobody's looking at the carbon footprint. They're just saying, look, here's a here's a vegan alternative to hamburgers. Well, the other thing too is on, on as far as lowering a carbon lowering a carbon footprint goes, as it becomes more prevalent, it becomes easier to make. And as it becomes easier sure. to make and easier to get, it also has a lower carbon footprint. There's a whole bunch of copycats on the market now too that are doing very similar things. So it is a market that's growing. And there's and there's companies here doing it in the U.S. and there's companies doing it in in Europe as well. So there's quite a few companies that are, are that are taking this on, and we're seeing more and more of it. But the I mean, if if you've already gone vegan, it, is this is this really a good alternative? I mean, this is the the idea is this to get you know meat eaters to eat you know more vegetables essentially. And, and why are vegetarians and vegans obsessed with meat anyway? I, you know, I, 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 I don't walk into a, I don't walk into a restaurant and say, I'd like some broccoli, but could you make it look like a steak? <laughs> well, exactly. It's not for point. vegans. It's not for, I see your point. That's what I'm saying. It's not for vegans, right? But, but yeah. even though it's a vegan, even though the burger is vegan, a vegan's probably not going to order it. And, you know, another point here that I'd like to make is that now after the earlier discussion, if I'm going to eat something vegan, I need to make sure that it's virgin also. <laughs> the, the other problem with the I'll Impossible Burger... Wash everything before you eat it. The other thing about the Impossible Burger well, is I don't that, care. If somebody had it before I eat it, then there's a problem. I am not using it, no. <laughs> the, the other problem with the Impossible Burger is that for vegans, it's just a, a gateway burger <clears throat> to real burgers, right? Gotta watch out for those gateway burgers. I know. Those gateway burgers are awful. <laughs> All right. Um... You know, the other thing that vegans have to watch out for, though, is they've got to watch out for secondhand meat fumes. <laughs> so, bacon. Yep. We're going to do these last two articles here. I think we can do them both because Max right. got Max got an article in here, but we'll do we'll do mom with dual uteruses first because this is kind of fascinating. Okay. Yeah, it's really. We need to move mine to next week. That's fine. No, I think we can do it. I think we're okay. We're good. Okay. Yeah, this is a really interesting story from Bangladesh. Um, uh, a woman named Arifa Sultana, age 20. She gave birth to a boy in February, in February through a normal delivery. And she didn't, uh, apparently she didn't even know that uh, she had this, but she has a double uterus. And apparently both uteruses were pregnant. And 26 later, she was back in the hospital, not knowing that she was still pregnant, uh, suffering from pains in her abdomen, uh, abdomen in her abdomen. Uh, and the doctor said, oh, she's, still pregnant and she gave birth a second time which uh, I, I put this in here uh, uh, under science because like the, it's, this is just amazing what sometimes the human body can do yeah having two uteruses is pretty fascinating and the fact that she would get i mean th how many sets of fallopian tubes did she have was it i mean was it just one to each uterus then at that point that's a really good that's question a, that is that's a good a question i there, there is no uh, X-ray image or anything like that accompanying this article, so I don't know exactly what the internals look like. Yeah, right, because it could be a uterine horn. Mm. Just as they say, two uteruses, but it could be a uterus and a uterine horn. Well, what is that? Well, like cats and dogs, they have uterine horns, which uh, each baby is is made in a different little horn. Really? Okay. Can and a human can uh, have a horn? A uterine horn? Well, the, the condition in humans uh, is known as uterus didelphus, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay, that doesn't sound like a uterine horn to me, but no. it's an it's interesting thought. All right, I'll, I'll read this from the uh, doctor. It says, it's not very common to have two uteruses. This is Dr. S.N. Basu, head of obstetrics and gynecology at the Max Healthcare Hospital in New Delhi. It says... Um, it's not very common to have two uteruses. When the uterus develops, it comes from two tubes, and those tubes fuse together. For some women, the fusion does not occur, and the dividing wall does not dissolve. Hmm. 
So it would be like two horns. It kind of is. Well, or it could just simply be a uterus that is divided in half, and each half is getting its own uh, its own egg that could potentially be fertilized. Right. Well, so, that that makes me think about now what's going on at the cervix too, because that because it's got a, it goes right down to the cervix. Right. So both uteruses both have openings to the cervix. Yep. Because I guess you can look you can look up uter. Yeah. I'm just looking look up, at it right now. At all the pictures and information on it. Hmm. I did a search for uterus didelphus. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do know how to type. <laughs> That's really interesting. So she gave birth to, and it would have been an even bigger scandal if it was two different fathers. Do we, do we know if that's the case? There <laughs> does not seem to be any such accusation in this article. All right. So the Inquirer well, is probably not interested. Yeah. Ah. Oh, well. I thought we had something um, for the Inquirer. Isn't she, isn't she actually, hasn't she moved and she's being studied now at the, uh, in Westchester, New York, at the Xavier Academy? <laughs> uh, yeah. I uh, don't think that this would be human. <laughs> I don't know. That could be a helpful, useful mutant power. <laughs> Just imagining how that would be used in fighting crime. Is this so... Fighting okay. crime. Pop babies at them. <laughs> oh, that was just a bad idea. <laughs> uh, all right. So what is this? Mama police? Okay. So um, the uh, the deal with this is that they were they were planning a drug raid. And as they were moving in, the police were moving in. The parrot screamed, Mama, Policia! And, of course, the distributors tried to get away, but they didn't get away fast enough. So the police took the parrot into custody as well as the drug dealers, or the drug drug distributors. Um, so- and they, they made a point of the fact that the bird basically exercised its right to remain silent <laughs> at the police station. But, uh, it, you know... I, Brian and I know that any parrot that's in a stressful situation is going to tend to get pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they moved it. So it, so they're they're um and they're skeptical. Well, okay. So the um what the defense lawyer is skeptical of the charge because the bird hasn't said anything, and even after it's been moved to the zoo, it hasn't said anything. But so the parrot that they're showing here. Looks like a maybe a, a blue crested Amazon or a, I've seen a yellow fronted yeah, Amazon. Yeah, I saw that too. I've seen a white fronted Amazon. A blue fronted. I've seen. Uh, I actually saw an article with a picture of a rosella on it, but I think this is the actual bird here in in the top. So that looks yeah. to me like and it, it looks like it's a yellow fronted Amazon. You think me. it's a yellow fronted? Maybe a okay. That's my guess based on the kind of blurry picture. The only reason I'm skeptical of that is that he, this guy, he's the guy is carrying it, and usually those birds, if it, if you're not the owner, they're like, I, I don't think so. But for but he for this guy was able to get it out of the cage, so I don't yeah. know. But anyway, so this bird is obviously stressed, and these birds attach to their owners. So even after it gets to the zoo, it it's going to be a long time before it's comfortable. It could be years before it's yeah. comfortable talking well, they're again. They're trying to rehabilitate it, like they're going to put release it back into the wild. Well, I don't think that that's going to happen. No, I do, I don't know that that's what they're trying to do. They are teaching it to fly and some stuff like that. But the bird looks healthy. I mean, that looks like a healthy bird. So it does. Yeah. I mean, um, so I I don't know. But you can see. Look at the look at his feathers. It's mm-hmm. completely slicked down. Right. That that yeah. bird is stressed. Mm-hmm. So it is. So it's not surprising to me that it's not talking. Uh, also, the posture of the wings. Yeah. Says that he's says that he's preparing to defend himself. Yeah, if he has to, right? Yeah. Slightly arched and ready to go if, if anything yep. were to happen. Yeah. That bird is that bird is stressed. Mhm. But uh they uh, the the news articles all the ones I've seen have been, you know, they've been having a, a joke about the fact that the bird is uh is exercising its its Miranda rights. <laughs> And uh, well, that is kind of funny. Not, I mean, like, you gotta not, you gotta hand it to him. That, that I mean, that is oh, yeah. kind of funny. No, I'm, right? I'm not saying it's not funny because it is. It is. But you've also got to look at it from the standpoint of uh, you know the bird is really not going to talk to people it doesn't trust, and the bird has clearly been taught to a point where it does not trust people in police uniforms. Right. Well, I don't know. And that's an issue of trust as far as it was taught to react to the police uniforms. That that is an issue of trust. It was taught to say something when it saw that uniform. 
right? That 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 doesn't say anything about trust. But that but that bird likely, if it's you know being an uh, you know an Amazon parrot of some sort, doesn't trust anybody but its owner, the one that he bonded yeah. with anyway. Yeah, so. but I mean, they, it's it's been specifically taught to recognize police uniforms. Sure. And here's so, the thing: is that there's some precedent for what the, what they're claiming. Yeah. What the police well, are saying. Well, uh, there was there was mentioned in the article about uh, putting drugs in containers marked venomous snakes and putting venomous snakes in the containers to uh, you know make sure that the drugs are not searched. Uh, right. There's also a mention in the article of a a parrot named Lorenzo. This is yeah. This is the one screaming at his owners to run, run yeah. at the sight of police officers approaching. Right. And he was found guarding a cache of guns and pot. Yeah, so, I mean, so not a real drug, but yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, members of the Zetas gang were rumored to have fed their enemies to backyard tigers. Yeah, that was interesting, too. Yep. Um, Colombian officials Okay, claim- so, so there's a good, there's actually a good picture of it down at the bottom, and I don't think it's a yellow front. I think you're right about that. That looks like it blue crested. Me. Okay, and I don't know nearly about as much about Amazons as I do about Conyers. Yeah, and like the like the one there's one there's somewhere there was that looked to me like a yellow crested or a double or um, but that looks like a blue crested uh, Amazon to me. Yeah, um, but and of look, course the first one I saw looked like a yellow fronted, but the yellow fronted is kind of what I'm most familiar with. Is that yellow fronted or is that double yellow headed Amazon? Those are different. Those are different. Okay, yellow fronted means it's just on. Like just above the sear on the face, right? And the double yellow head it goes way further. Back. Okay, and I thought this was a blue crested because of the way that it doesn't matter. It, it's 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 an Amazon no. parrot. I know that for sure. It's definitely an Amazon. Uh, Colombian officials claim that Lorenzo is one of a hundred uh, one thousand one. Let's see, seventeen hundred birds. Authorities have recently seized, believed that they had been trained to alert their owners of police approaching. Uh, the AP reported. So th- it sounds like there's precedent for this. Whether or not it happened in yep. this case, I don't know. But clearly, L- Lorenzo, because the- there's a video of Lorenzo saying, run, run, in Spanish. So apparently the way you can you combat drug-sniffing dogs is by creating police-warning birds. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's it. Say goodnight, everybody. All right. Good night. Brian, go find some of those good-looking vegetables. Yeah, I'm going to get me some carrots, baby. Right on. (laughs) That's another carrot in Brian's can. (laughs) If you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time. You're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons, share-alike, no-derivatives, 3.5 license. Intro music by Peter Canold. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.